0: Whether you're taking a rip down the lease road in your jacked up truck or flying first class to Houston, Texas, it's time to sit back and relax for another exciting episode of Oil & Gas On Shore. This episode is brought to you by Tendeka, a global specialist in advanced completions and production solutions for the oil and gas industry. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Justin Gauthier.
1: Welcome to this week's episode. We're here at the Canon. And when I say the Canon, it's the new Canon. For those of you out there who don't know, the Canon is a a big facility. It's kind of similar to WeWork, I guess, but they've got a huge building that offices probably, about I don't know, from what I've seen so far, like 100 different little companies. And where I was recording before was like an old church, I think. And it was, you know, kind of run down, pretty unique, actually. And so now this is the first time we've recorded in a new building. And so I'm here at the new Canon. With Matthew Hoppins, account manager at Weatherford. Matt, how's the week been for you, buddy? It's
0: been a good week, man. Yeah. I got no complaints yet. Good. <laughs> but it's Friday, so <laughs> you never as long know. as I can make it through the next six hours, I'm good.
1: Well, hey, we're in the oil field, so 24 hours a day, things can happen seven days
0: a week, right? So any big highlights from the week, man? No, not to speak of really, man. You Just know, business I, uh, as usual? Business as usual. I got a lot going on with the home right now, so I'm I'm dragged in two different directions pretty pretty well. Okay. What's going mm-hmm. on at home, man? Well, my wife's uh, six months pregnant with our third what? child. Congrats! Yeah, yeah, I'm going to add another little boy to the group. Holy smokes! You know, so, I'm so kinda, what's the mix right now? I have a eight year old daughter who's about to be nine. Yeah, she's going in the fourth grade. I got a sixteen or eighteen month old son named Cooper and a another boy on the way, Cody. Wow. Well, congrats to the Hopkins
1: family. Well, thank you. That's crazy. So we have I have a daughter and a son. Daughter's three and a half. My son's uh. He's turning nine months and like the dynamic at home is hilarious. Like over the last few weeks, it's been like my son's so loud. Like he loves to scream Mm -hmm. and anything loud noises, which I think just men in general, like we loud big bangs and, you know, whether it's guns or car crashes or just like anything loud, right? (laughs) Football collisions, shit like that. So he gets screaming and my daughter hates loud noises. So she gets mad at him and then she's yelling at him, but then he thinks it's funny. So he's yelling back and it's just like, lately, it's been crazy at my house. So I, and that's only two of us, dude, I cannot imagine three. So huge
0: props to you guys. Yeah. I got a lot to look forward to. That's for sure. It's definitely (laughs) going to be a change. That's putting it lightly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it's a blessing though, man. Yeah. You know, when I was younger, marriage and kids was the absolute last thing I ever wanted, Yeah, but I I couldn't imagine life any, any differently now. Right. You know? Yep. Some of the
1: best memories happen with, with you when you have your kids and even though it's chaotic, some of the best memories, like I was talking to a buddy this morning, his actually my business partner with KTX fit, he's going to, he's going tent camping with his daughter, who's three and a half. And we laughed and we're like, holy smokes, that's gonna be a lot of work. But I remember taking my daughter camping. And when I say it was the most miserable camping trip ever, it was terrible. We went to the new bronze which is a beautiful spot. Yeah. But I didn't do any research on where we were going. And I'm pretty sure like half of South Texas and a bunch of pleasant rednecks were there partying like till four in the morning and when like whether it was you know music and just people yelling and cars coming in and out with lights and stuff and we're in this in the middle of this campground and and there was like the nice side of the campground Mm -hmm. and like the tenting party side yeah we're this young family in the party side with my daughter who's freaking out the whole time it was miserable and at the time we were like we should just pack up and go. But I say that to say some of those the, the, the shittiest times at, at the time that you think are bad, like make for the best memories. Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. We'll never forget it. It was the funniest thing. So yeah, you're right. Sometimes chaos creates the best memories. So and I'm sure I've got a lot of chaos filled days ahead of me. <laughs> yeah. No, Very that's so. And the wife, she's doing good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She's doing good. This is her her second pregnancy and it's it's going about as well as it could she hasn't had too many issues good i mean we already have the 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 date set no way yeah well she's she has to do a c-section again okay so they scheduled it out the baby was actually due on november 13th but i told the doctor i said hey man that's getting a little too deep into hunting season can we move it up <laughs> right and she goes yeah we'll schedule it a week before there on you November go. 6th." so i was hey. like all right there your priorities
1: go. remain your priorities. I like that. <laughs> Integrity. <laughs> that a boy. I'm not saying I'm going to get away with it,
0: but I'm, yeah. I'm trying to lay it out just in case. Hey, shoot for the moon, man. <laughs> right. right. You know what? You'll land somewhere. you get halfway there, you're good. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. Awesome, man.
1: So you recently got promoted. I remember we were at a customer's office and we ran into each other. And, and so you recently got from, was it, you were in sales, now you're in account management? Is that right? Yeah,
0: I was a technical sales rep at Weatherford in the right. cementation and liner hanger division. Yeah. And Weatherford... They created account manager positions. Cool. And you know, a lot of these oil and gas companies, you know, sales, account manager, business development, you know, <laughs> a lot of it all falls under the same. But sure, Weatherford's idea of an account manager is someone who goes into an account and you've, you know, someone like Weatherford has multiple product lines. You know, I could have 15 Weatherford salesmen in, in one place at one time. And to kind of avoid that, the job for me is to go in there, find out, what Weatherford can offer to these companies and then bring the right people in there. I don't want to bring in a bunch of reservoir monitoring guys and people who are dealing with that kind of, production on the back end mm-hmm. if it's not necessary you, sure. know what you don't want to show up for breakfast room with 15 guys and just get run out because you brought too many people to the party you know
1: yeah i had one of my customers complain about that this week actually they were laughing because they said uh, half of slumber jay's office was in their breakfast room so they all scattered and so anyone yeah. at slumber jay who's in sales you know, make a note but when you have about 13 people
0: for a team of drilling that's got like four yeah you're yeah. a little overwhelming yeah i mean <laughs> My main role now is just to be the, the point man for my accounts. I've got five accounts cool. and I'm supposed to be the point man, meaning anybody from, you know, drilling, completions, production, reservoir, you know, HSC, the, the accounting people, like mm. I'm, I'm the point man for those accounts. That's my role.
1: So, okay. And that makes sense. So for a large corporation like Weatherford, is that something
0: that they've just adopted or is that something that they've always done? You know, I'm not real sure if they've done it like this in the past. I've, I've been at Weatherford almost, coming up on three years now. Yeah. And I first saw guys get moved into account management roles here in Houston about last year sometime. Gotcha. And I think it was really productive and it showed a lot of, uh, you know, fruits of those guys' labor. Yeah. So they, they doubled the size of the account managers and spread out some more accounts, you know, and there's, how they decide what accounts, you know, some are, hey, we've got way too much work over here and nobody's, you know, taking it by the horns and not being the point man. And then we have some accounts where it's like, hey, Weatherford's not over here. You know, these guys have four rigs running. Why don't we have a presence? Mm-hmm. You know, so they send somebody in there to kick down doors and say, hey, man, we're here. We're Weatherford. We offer everything from well construction to reservoir monitoring and everything in between. Wow. You know? Okay. Try to go in there and not so much push one product line, mm-hmm. but to go in there and offer a Weatherford tailored solution. Gotcha. You know, that's that's kind of my goal now is to find those opportunities, bring them to Weatherford and see what we can do as a whole versus just one product line here and there. I, I mean, then
1: that makes sense to me. I mean, because like you said, Weatherford, someone's so many product lines, I would imagine it kind of helps you be able to go to, it, it kind of diversifies your scope of work too,
0: which is pretty cool. Very much and, so. And
1: get in front of people. Otherwise you wouldn't maybe normally have done with the cement and liner hanger stuff. Yeah.
0: You know, when I first took the position and I say took the position, when I, when I was told I was taking the position. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's about how it goes. Um, I was a little worried about that, you know, because my background, when I started off, I started off in coil tubing, and then I went to gyro data and started doing directional. Mm -hmm. I ran our gyro survey tools, MWD, GWD combo tools, dabbed in rotary steerable a little bit, and that was really the majority of my oil field experience and you know, the coil tubing was just a foot in the door you know mm-hmm. I spent six months in the back of an 18-wheeler swinging a sledgehammer on a pipe and I was like okay um, I didn't go to school for you know <laughs> yeah. get a degree in economics for this no kidding you know I got lucky and took advantage of a good spot at gyro data and I made that my home for eight years and um, and it was it, it was tough leaving that place but Yeah, I did what I had to do, and I've I've diversified a little bit. You know, I went from there to directional sales to selling bits, Mm. and then liner hangers, and I kind of stuck in that that realm for a little while. But you know, some of this other stuff, I really I've had no clue about. But one good thing about them adopting this position at Weatherford is we have a great training regimen. Okay, there's online stuff. There's you know, FaceTime classrooms you can go to all the time. And, you know, like I'm taking a training class in a couple of weeks for artificial list systems, you know. Good for you, a week man. long and, you know, the you know, hopefully come out of there knowing enough to talk to somebody about it and not feel like I don't know what I'm talking about. Right. Well, that's what I, I credit large companies for that
1: simply because, you know, you get sort of the mid to small companies is they just don't have the resources, nor do they have the, the capacity to be able to put their people because normally they run so lean, and to put people in training courses. And I've been fortunate enough to go to K M Technology sort of extended reach drilling course, but that was put on by an operator, so I was lucky to go there. But it's neat to be able to see that still that that emphasis on training to help people grow their career paths. Obviously, like in the position that you're in, but yeah. And then on top of that, you you just become more valuable to the customer, knowing like. You know if you're talking yeah well you know in this training course that i experienced this that and the other like you don't necessarily have to spend 20 years in the field with that certain discipline but but having the training and and now being able to utilize that and, and sort of you know providing solutions that weatherford has in, in different fronts man that's really neat so Backing up a little bit, you, you know, you talked about gyro data, but let's even back up a little further. You went to U of H, right? Yes, sir.
0: Yeah, so are you from Houston then? Or? Yes, sir. I'm born and raised in Pearland. Wow, okay. Right down the... the road, my parents graduated from Pearland High School. No kidding? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, slump. I mean, both sides of the family. Yeah? Both sides of the family. All uncles, aunts, everyone graduated from Pearland. What? No yeah, way. I actually kind of broke the, the, the hoppins rule and moved to Friendswood two years ago. <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, literally, that's just... One mile on the other side of the creek. Oh boy! Yeah, <laughs> but, but it was a big jump for everyone in the <laughs> yeah. family. No kidding. You know, yeah, that's that's so. cool. So, like, most of your family still there? What about your wife? Is she still around there? My wife was a Pearland girl. No way. Yeah, she's the she's three years younger than me. We actually, you know, we were in school together for one year okay. only in high school, but I I knew who she was. Yeah, you know, but she didn't know who I was. You okay, know. you know, she was one of the real pretty girls, and I, don't know, I was just some. Some guy on the baseball team. Yeah. You know, but, yeah, she uh, she knew my sister, and we had never spoke a single word to each other Okay, until about four years ago at a buddy's wedding. And she was just like, hey, you're Lena's brother, right? And said, yeah. Left the conversation at that. Right, and you're like, much. I know exactly who you are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and she she was kind of, like, okay, well, this guy's got the personality of a brick wall. I oh, you know, no, <laughs> to move on. But then later on the night, we got to talking, and we've been inseparable ever since. No kidding. We got married two years ago, and we've... Got a second child on the way. Wow! Built a new house in Friendswood. We're uh, we're living the dream, as far as I'm concerned. We got hey. everything we need. Good for you, man. Yeah, yeah, you you turned the brick wall into a gold fence. Look at there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'm a little tough to get to know at first, you know. But she got to, you know, she got there.
1: Yeah. Hey, good for you, man.
0: So you mentioned baseball. You grew up playing baseball, or what? Oh yeah. 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 Kind of like the opposite of what you were saying about your wife you know i came from a family of non-athletic people okay my dad did not play sports my mom did not play sports neither did my grandparents on either side yeah i actually came from a particularly short family
1: which is odd, because for people who don't know, Matt, you're what six two, six one, six one? Yeah. yeah. You so. put these boots on, man, I'm about six three. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Maybe I need to start wearing cowboy boots, Matt. Well, I mean, right. I wear these loafer flats. Uh, so, but like right now, if I was wearing cowboy boots, I don't know, I'd probably look that pretty funny because I don't. But you're think from Alberta, right? Born in Alberta, raised in British Columbia. Okay. Yeah. Say. So West Coast, we're a
0: little different. But what can I say? Well, I Maybe. just got back from Alberta, and that's oh, why I did? brought that up because the guys there, they were like, you know, we're we're just the Texas of Canada. <laughs> just kind of looked at it playing like, really? they're like, yeah, we're just a bunch of rednecks who drive big trucks and like to hunt and work in the oil field. Yeah, It's like I had no clue. Yeah. Because actually, B.C. is the only place I've ever been in Canada. Okay. And that was not for work.
1: No. <laughs> no. Yeah, there's not too much oil and gas no, out in I, B.C.
0: No, I enjoyed the hell out of Vancouver, but there ain't much for there for me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. So what, you were up in
0: Calgary then? No, or- I was uh, north of Swan Hills. Oh, so you were like. I was bear hunting.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah,
0: I was up just north of a uh, lesser slave lake. Okay, yeah. National Forest up there hunting with uh, John and Jen, they got a real good operation up there, and went up there a couple months ago, spent a week up there, and had a lot of fun. Good for you, man. Yeah. That's it was, crazy. It was a blast. Yeah. I really like that place.
1: Cool, cool. That's good to hear. So, going back to the baseball thing, you grew up playing baseball, you know, yeah. through
0: high school, or how? Yeah, I I was always baseball. I played that since I was four years old. You know, I had a hell of a push in the back from my dad to go play baseball. Like cool. I said, I came from an extremely un- unathletic family, so... Yeah. One of the grandkids, you know, playing baseball, playing a sport and being successful at it was kind of a big deal. I mean, no kidding. the entire family, grandma, never, grandma, and grandpa never missed a game. Yeah. You know? That is so cool. <laughs> they were like, even all the way up through high school, they were sitting there behind the backstop in their lawn chairs with their cores light, which they weren't supposed to have, but they had, hey. you know, watch, telling. watching Matt play baseball and, you know, that's bugged the hell out of my sister yeah so she always got drug along she was three years younger than me and didn't play sports so. oh
1: so she she had long days at the field when it was hot yeah. just trying to figure out a way to keep occupied while you're out there crushing it
0: yeah but it did it did her a favor in my opinion because now you go to her house and she's got baseball on during dinner time just like we had when we were kids nice you know so she's continuing the tradition which is good but very cool yeah i played through high school at pearland we got we got one round short of state and uh-huh. I, I I hung him up after that I had a couple little small offers from from JUCOs. Okay. But I always told my old man I said look I'm not going to play unless I go to a four-year school. I mean I like baseball. I love it. Still mm-hmm. still my favorite sport but Yeah. You play at that level of college you got to eat sleep and breathe it man. Yep. You know. I can imagine. Just like when you're in the field, you know, you got to eat sleep and breathe that stuff and I just I didn't have the passion for it. I wanted to go to school. My actually my plan was to go to law school. Oh wow! That's what I always wanted to do. I worked for a litigation support firm all through college, and law school is where I wanted to be. And I took my LSAT, got accepted to uh, South Texas School of Law, and just never went. Really? No. I so, so I'm curious about that, but I want to ask you, what position did you play in high school? I was DH in first base. Okay. Mostly. I was started out as a backup catcher. Well, I was a catcher until my best friend got really good. Okay. Yeah, JD just took that role, and was, I was kind of like, I got to find something else to do, <laughs> and I could hit. Man, I could hit. That was my sweet spot, but I had stone hands. So the ball hit my glove and it bounced right out. So the other coach was kind of scratching his head like, this kid's got a pitch, but he doesn't have a strong arm and he can't put him in the outfield because he's slow. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, let's just give him a bat and see what happens. So, I mean, that was my role as just the designated hitter all through my senior year, at least. But I, I, I came up catching. Okay. I mean, I had my first knee surgery when I was sixteen years old. Wow. <laughs> so but that that was just bad genetics. You know, yeah. coming from a family of non-athletes, mm-hmm. something was gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. You were genetically predisposed to something that was gonna yeah. fail. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's
1: funny. Six knee surgeries later, they're still bothering me. Oh man. I have a huge appreciation for baseball. I started playing right from T ball growing up and then, yeah. you know, played all through basically up until I was about 16, but played competitively. Actually, funny you mentioned, I started pitching and catching when I was, like, really young. But then I specialized at third base, so I was a third baseman for up until, you know, I hung them up, I guess you could say. But definitely in in Canada, where I'm from, there was no high school team, so it was just, like, local city teams. And then you could play club teams. Yeah, where I'm from anyway. And there's I don't think there's too many, like, you know, Calgary, which is obviously a big city. They might have some baseball teams in high school, but the only high school teams we had was, you know, football, basketball, and like volleyball and then they started a rugby program which i played for a couple of
0: years but did you play rugby yeah man yeah. that's what i started playing after i got through with baseball oh no okay at u of h yeah they had a club rugby team it was no it wasn't like ncaa sanctioned or anything you know, sure just club team we'd get together and play other schools here and there man yeah I had a yeah. blast
1: yeah i played scrum half man it was a blast it was a good time you're a halfback huh yeah yeah <laughs> i mean it but again you, you got to keep in mind i went to a high school with like 900 kids yeah. like from grade 8 to 12 so it's not like
0: there was much pay so hey hey i started out as a lock yeah okay i had had no business playing that position then they stuck (laughs) me on then they realized if we give this kid a ball and have a bunch of people chase him he gets a lot faster (laughs) yeah so they put (laughs) me on the flank and that was the end of that get the ball and run like
1: hell nice dude i thought i thought football was rough because i played football as well and then we you know rugby was kind of like training up to football season and I've never gotten so beat up in my life, man. I give it up to rugby players and like hockey players is one thing, but rugby that's on another level,
0: man. I was, I, was, yeah. I mean, I, I played football in high school and I liked it, but I didn't like getting hit. Mm. I was, you know, they had me six foot tall, 170 pounds. My senior year wanted to put me a tight end. I was, was going to say, like, you seem like a tight end mm, kind of guy. Yeah. No, I had great hands with, I, I catch a football, but I couldn't catch a baseball. It was ridiculous. <laughs> a little bigger, maybe it helps. Yeah, but yeah, no, I said, no, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. And, I actually got hurt less playing rugby minus the, I mean, I broke my nose three times, but I mean, that's just <laughs> physics. This thing doesn't go into the ground very well. Right, right, yeah. It goes to one side or the other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I got a lot of deep bruise contusion, you know, a lot of the contusions, but. Nothing other than that, man. I loved it. Yeah. It was so much fun playing around with those guys. Yeah. No, it's a a huge... Is is it very common down here? I mean, obviously... It's it's getting a lot bigger. One of the guys I work with, his son, was playing up in the Woodlands on a team, and I've been trying to get my brother-in-law to get my nephew into it, because you know a lot of the parents are getting worried about concussions and you know the younger crowd playing you know in the helmet technology and I was trying to explain to them like why don't you go play rugby like it's illegal to t- you know to hit yeah. above you know you're not he's not going to get these type of injuries and this is the perfect breeding ground for rugby players because they're young they learn it yeah you know and they're, they're not out to hurt each other so when they get older when they get the muscle behind them they know the proper forms they know the right t- I mean the same principles they teach in football. It's just you're you're not there's no layout hits in right. rugby. You know you're not going to find a guy coming clear across the field and just lighten somebody up. And right. I mean, rarely, rarely will you see that happen.
1: Yeah, the fundamentals are a lot different, and I mean, it's not. I would never consider rugby a collision sport, whereas no. football it is a hundred percent collision sport. So, but yeah, like my tackling technique, my you know the way I could keep my head up, you know, in time because like in football, ever since you're young, you. You, you know, you run through some tackling drills, but you're putting your head down and trying to light people up. Whereas in rugby, like you do that, you're going to hurt your neck, everything mm-hmm. else. So, yeah, I, I again, I, I love rugby and it, it'd be cool to see it get a little more popular down here, man, because I'd love to go watch games. I mean, well, you some know, high school games would probably be awesome. They,
0: they've they got a semi pro here now.
1: Oh, they do? Yeah. The, okay. uh,
0: the Sabres. Okay. I believe it is. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, they're building a stadium right outside of Pearland by the Beltway. Okay. Yeah. Nice. I mean, they're playing in Sugarland. They've played in Sugarland this past season. But they're they're building a brand new stadium for them here. It's it's picking up, man. Cool. I, I have a feeling that it's gonna keep getting bigger with the safe just the safety aspects of football. I think this is gonna turn into a nice alternative for the younger kids to play. Cool. You know? Yeah, I, I agree. I would love for my sons to play rugby instead of football.
1: Yeah. Hey, you, know? you never know. So so with baseball, before we get going, and all the listeners out there who don't like the banter at the beginning, it's too bad. We're having good chat here. <laughs> I've had people be like, man, the first 20 minutes. Actually, more people enjoy it than don't, but whatever. It is what it is. Yeah, some people don't (laughs) like small talk. Yeah, and hey, we'll get there. Don't worry. Baseball, how do you think the Astros are going to do this year? I mean, they seem like they're pretty hot right now. I mean, I don't know. Well, after yesterday, we are far and away the favorites. Okay, well, (laughs) true that. But, I mean, they still got a pretty decent record. We're still first in our division.
0: Oh, yeah, no. And, I mean, with with all the key components we added on Wednesday, I'm super excited. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm... I'm all in. I always am. I've always been a huge Astros fan. That's what's on the TV when I get home. Yeah. Like everyone knows that. Dad's home putting the Astros on. Yeah. Like I don't care what real housewife shows on my wife's <laughs> watching. Or SpongeBob, it's off. Yeah. Nice. There's plenty of TVs in the house. Y'all go watch that somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know. But no, I've uh I think you know, they they improve their pitching staff to where they need to be. We've got a great offense and AJ Hinch is arguably the best manager in baseball. Dude, amazing. So I'm 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 all in. I can't wait. Yeah. You know, yeah. Cool. So obviously
1: you've been watching the Astros for a long time, 2013, 14, terrible seasons, right? Then they started using data and whether you want to call it artificial intelligence, AI, calculated making decisions on how to improve their team. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a book called Astro Ball. Have you read it? No. It's by Ben Reeder. He's a Sports Illustrated writer. Well, anyway, he wrote a book kind of explaining the new way to win in baseball and, and cause the Astros were kind of like a guinea pig on, you know, they, they put together, they called it like a like a geek room or a geek dungeon. And they started really analyzing like, you know, ball rotation and, you know, pitching and, you know, how many pitches would be, you know, based off this count, what to expect. So, you know, kind of similar to what we see, you know, on gas is like big data and allowing us to either predict or get an idea of what's coming up to make calculated decisions based off all this data we have. And so they kind of played with that. But anyway, guy was telling me about it. And so I'm reading the book now, but yeah, I'm sure other teams have adopted that, but they are one of the first. And like the, the folks that, from what I understand that started, you know, compiling data and, and getting this into the team's methodology and practice predicted that they would win the world series. And everyone thought they were like just off the rocker Yeah, and they went and did it. So, uh, You know, data is such a powerful thing. And if you can collect it and and analyze it and and properly organize it in a way to better off, whether it's your team or your operations, it's so powerful. And so it's kind of a neat story that I came across recently.
0: So I was curious if you'd heard about it. No, well, I mean, I I completely understand the reasoning behind what they're doing. I mean, baseball, baseball is full of patterns. I mean, it really is. Pitch counts, you know, the way, the way you look at each hitter. You mm-hmm. know, the way you position the outfielders, you know, if you look at baseball now and you watch game, they a lot of those guys have cards in the, you know underneath their hat in their back pocket. You'll see outfielders a lot of times pull out a card, look at who's up. You know, mm-hmm. what, are, what are his trends? Where does he hit the ball? You right. Know, my pitcher's a fastball inside pitcher. You know, is he going to pull this ball? Is he going to try to go inside and take it out? They look at all that stuff. When they finally started taking all that data, like you said, into account, putting stats behind it and statistical analysis, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it changed the game. Yeah. It, it really did, man. Yeah. No, it's, it's exciting. Do you think there's a lot more room for that? Like, are we in the early
1: stages of that? Or I, do you think they've capitalized on most of it? No,
0: I think they're at the early stages. Yeah. I, I think the more AI comes prevalent in, in the the more technology progresses, the more this is going to go in, you know, I mean, and now they have the, the robotic umpires in some of the minor leagues, you know, yeah, that's going to change the game. Totally. And that yeah. was, so I've been curious about that. Like
1: actually it's funny when I was young, I umpired for money as really? like a side job and I was a terrible umpire. Cause I, I just, I would start thinking and I was calling balls and they should have been strikes. Like I was the most, the worst one. I got in so many arguments with parents, but I was like, whatever. It was like, we called it tadpole was the league. So kids were like literally like
0: eight, nine years old. It's like oh, yeah. give it a break. But I know, yeah, but that's when you got those aggressive parents out <laughs> yeah,
1: there. Man. It was pretty serious. But right at that point, I was like, couldn't they have something that just tells you whether it's a ball or a strike? Cause you got, you know, you've got machines to be able to uh, whatever those like we can tell the how fast the ball is going, radar, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. I'm like, surely they could figure out whether in the box if it's a ball or a strike, which on TV it's cool because you see the box and it seems like the umpire is most of the time are correct but do you think umpires will become obsolete to where it'll just be digital
0: no because you still need someone to relay the information sure i think right now the way they're doing it with these robotic umpires they're they're, i mean i don't know exactly what they're calling it but the article i read was it's a camera set up and there is a feed to the umpire and it adds like a one to two second delay the catcher catches the ball yeah and then it goes to the umpire and they say baller strike and then he calls it okay so that's and, already happened well, and, and the crazy thing was the article i read said they didn't even tell the players oh the, no way! And it wasn't until like midway through the game the players were like doesn't it seem like there's a little bit of a lag time there so they really couldn't tell hmm. which you know the only thing i don't like is baseball is a pure sport yeah you know i'm not so much of a purist you know like I, i'm still not a big fan of the designated hitter sure but <laughs> even though I mean, you were one, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of over it now, <laughs> yeah. but you know, there has to be a human element to it. Yeah. There has to be a human element to baseball. If it's, if, if it's all, Hey, balls and strikes are adhered right here, you know, I mean, unless pitchers come up with some crazy new pitches and, you know, and the, and the batters know where it's going to go. Yeah. You know, I, I think it'll take a lot of the guessing out of the batting aspect of it. It might put the pitchers at a disadvantage. Okay. But you know everything's driven by media now. It's all about yeah. money, you know. Those guys need to speed the games up, they need to get more airtime for the sponsors. So they're going to do what they have to do. Just I don't I don't think they're going to change it so much to where they lose the fan base, but I think little small things here and there are probably still on the horizon. Yeah, no,
1: I I could definitely see that. All right, well, before we get going more on the technical stuff, I just want to take a quick break. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and do me a huge favor to take a few minutes and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Any feedback is welcome and appreciated, good or bad. Also, if you feel like you have a great story, idea for a show or any questions, or if you feel like you need to be on the podcast, hit me up on LinkedIn and we'll go from there. Kind of neat. I actually had two folks that were on the podcast, Courtney Strang and John David Wilmon, Courtney listened to the story, and they're both in Oklahoma City, and she's an ex-drilling engineer, he's an ex-drilling engineer. And so, yeah, they ended up linking up and exchanging contact, and actually were able to kind of help each other out a little bit. So, you know, it's cool. I'd love to connect people, and that's what I'm here for. So, again, hit me up on LinkedIn, even if you have any questions or just, like I said, any feedback would be much appreciated. So, Matt, we talked, obviously, about, you know, life before the oil field. You talked about getting into law. Real quick, why didn't you end up doing the law thing?
0: (laughs) Really, it was a talking to that I got to right when I walked in. Yeah. Right right when I got to where I was supposed to be, it was, I got the old, hey, you're going to spend the next two years of your life in a library studying for a case that you'll never have anything to do with for a lawyer that you'll never meet. Jeez. And I had a little tough time getting through college. It took me six years versus four. I worked full-time, went to night school, and had a couple of personal things get in the way. i take a year off of school. Okay. So when I finally got out, I was – I was more ready to be done, and at that point, I didn't know what kind of law I wanted to practice. I just always been told that I was I would make a good lawyer, right? You know, working with the lawyers that I worked with all through college and talked to, they're like, "Man, you'd be great at this." Is it because you're good at arguing? Uh, probably <laughs> has something to do with that. I've been I, I've been told I can get a little stubborn, and you yeah, know, on, on that, you know, when I. <laughs> When I put my mind to a point and I, and I believe in that point, it's pretty hard to get me off of it. Sure. And, it, and, and
1: sometimes that, you know, the, your biggest strength can be your biggest weakness. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm sure it's probably worked out well for you. But my mom always told me I was good at arguing. She's like, you're so good at arguing. Why don't you become a lawyer? And I'm just one I can barely read as it is now. So I couldn't imagine trying to do it in college. And on top of that, I just school is very challenging for me. So, yeah. I just decided to uh, go the roughneck route, and here we are. But yeah, I could imagine being a lawyer would be tough. And in your position, I don't blame you, man. That would have been yeah, it
0: deterred me too. I mean, I it was the reading thing that got me too. Yeah, yeah. Full disclosure, it <laughs> yeah. was man. I didn't start reading till after college. Like, yep, same here. I read John Grisham's The Client okay. when I was in fifth grade. My <laughs> dad gave me that book and he said, "Here, learn to read." And what? I was like looking at this big giant dictionary, going, "Like, are you kidding me? That's insane, you know, man." Yeah, I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. And up until then, I didn't read anything unless the teacher made me read it. Yeah. But then after I got out of college, just sitting offshore one day, and this guy comes up and he's like, "You look bored." I was walking in circles on the helipad, just you know, just trying to keep my mind busy. Yeah. You know, I can't get rid of that ADD sometimes. Right. And he dropped Atlas Shrugged in front of me, which is I've heard that's a great book. My old boss man, has recommended it. to if me If you haven't read it, you need to. It it changed my outlook on everything just because I wasn't. I wasn't educated on the topics of those books on you know capitalism and the way the world. I mean, the way the economy really runs. I mean, I got a got a degree in economics, but that was all numbers. Right. You know, the theories behind it and everything were pretty pretty bleak. You know, the only theory they tell you in economics is like you're, you know you're constantly searching for equilibrium. Okay. It's like okay, well, it's just a theory. Right. It doesn't exactly work out that that way. You know, and that's what that book shows you is that yeah, you, know, you can try to steer a market or an industry in one direction but if everyone else doesn't buy in then you're on your own Mm -hmm. you know and the fountainhead is another really good book by that same author uh, okay on rand i actually actually read that one first i started atlas shrugged and i was like this is a little bit too much and then a buddy of mine was like no the same guy was like try fountainhead first it's a lot shorter you can get into that and i read that and i was hooked no kidding i was hooked after that i got atlas shrugged and i mean i even got on the an rand website you know she's got this whole big website where people follow her and people still apply her her philosophy today because she actually created a philosophy called objectivism wow people still follow that to the t today it's not very popular because it's you know high on the capitalism side you know society's not really going that way anymore are you knowledgeable enough to briefly explain what objectivism is briefly I, i i guess um one of the things that she always pointed out in her books was that selfishness is a virtue, which most people are like, what the hell are you talking about? But her thing was selfishness is a virtue as long as it's used for good and no one's hurt basically, you know? So it's just thinking about yourself first, you know, don't mm-hmm. put yourself in bad situations. It's not, Hey, I got two tacos. You don't have any ha Right. It's not that type of selfishness. It's I'm going to do what's best for me. I'm going to do what's best for my family. I'm going to live for me and my family and nobody else. Right. You know, and there's extreme views of that, and there's moderate views of that. Just you know? like everything. Yeah, you know, I take that as moderate as, hey, you know what? First and foremost is my family. Right. That's, it's me and my family, and if that means someone doesn't get something, you know, because my family has to have it, well, you know, that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. You know, But it's, it's more about taking care of yourself and taking care of your family and being that responsible person. Wow. That's the way I took it. I may be completely off from the right definition. Sure. But that's the way I took it. But but how you perceive it, it adds value to your
1: life. And so therefore it's good. Perception is reality. Yeah, exactly. No, that's neat, man. I learned something new today. So, <laughs> so you know, the lower thing doesn't work out. And then you start off with gyro data right then and there. No, or?
0: actually, one of my buddies that I've known for years, a friend of mine named Kurt Spitzenberger, he worked for coal tubing services down in Engleton. Okay. And I was just talking to him one day and he said hey man why don't you get out of this do something different go work with your hands you know i mean my dad was a blue collar worker Everyone in my family is a blue collar worker growing up so i was working as a little kid so it wasn't anything big for me to go put on some gloves and a hard hat and go get to work nice that's exactly what i did i went down to angleton i talked to them i said hey i just got out of college i don't know what the hell i want to do you know you got a job and they're like yeah like can you drive 18 wheelers i said no but i'll learn right you know they're like can you swing a sledgehammer i said yeah so next thing you know, I was swinging a sledgehammer, running pipe on, on locations, driving fluid trucks back and forth between locations. And nice. I just got lucky. I was uh, dating a girl whose brother-in-law was working at Gyrodata. And he's like, man, he goes, I think you'd fit in just fine here. Because back in the day when Gyrodata was small, most of the field hands that they hired were college guys who didn't mind working. Mm-hmm. You know? And it was great. I loved it, man. I loved working at that company when they yeah. were when they were small. It was such a great place to work. It was my first taste of the oil field. Yeah, and I had no idea about the oil field. I, mean, I grew up in Pearland. We got the old Hastings oil field right outside my house. Yeah, I saw pump jacks. I just thought that was somewhere to sit when we were dove hunting. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I didn't know anything about the oil field, and neither one of my parents anything to do with it and grandparents anywhere interesting you okay. know so this was all brand new to me man the first time i was on an oil rig it, it blew my mind yep you i know, i can identify I with was, you know, there i was that i was that worm that got all the tricks played on them. <laughs> Yeah. you know I, I my first time pulling out of the cool tubing yard driving a big old damn pump truck you know like a 52 foot trailer behind it yeah you know i shouldn't have been driving that to begin with i should have been on the <laughs> crane truck Yeah. But I had that. I get halfway out of Angleton and I get a phone call. Like, hey, did you grab the flux capacitor? (laughs) No, I didn't. Damn it. I never didn't know what the flux capacitor was. I don't even think I've ever seen Back to the Future and paid that close attention to it. Right. (laughs) So I go back, park the truck, go into the shop, go in there, and I talk to Danny. I'm like, hey, man, I need a flux capacitor for this job. And he just buries his hands in his head. And he's like,
1: yeah. (laughs) He's
0: like, who told you to come back and get that? And he's like, look, man, you've been had. Here's it is, you know, and I was like, oh, okay. I was like, I need to have a talk with somebody when I get on location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then, (laughs) this is embarrassing to talk about. but (laughs) No, this is good. This is what people want. (laughs) Well, then I fell for the exhaust sample. Oh no. Yes, these dudes gave me a trash can and go go sit behind that pump truck. We're gonna start it off and run through the gears, and we need an exhaust sample. <laughs> so they had me on the back of a truck with a trash bag. No way. Yes, trying to get exhaust <laughs> samples. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I never let that happen again.
1: Hey, but yeah. I'm glad you can live to tell about it and um, laugh because that's you know, that's what the oil field is built off of. Is like a bunch of you know, rig hands that all they want to do is just push each other's buttons and just you know, just just rag on each other, make fun of each other, and and see how much you can take without breaking. Well, you know, know? it's 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 a rite of passage. It is. It's a rite of passage that everyone that should go through, <laughs> and I wear
0: it as a badge of honor. Because whenever I was at after, you know, I was only C, at a CTS for about six months, and then I went to gyro Data, and they tried all that on me at gyro Data. But luckily, my my buddy that got me hired on there told me a few of the things that they might throw at me. You know, like yeah. key to the V door that kind of thing. Right? <laughs> yeah. So when it was my turn to do that, yeah. you know, i after after it was all said and done, you know, I told them, said, "Hey, man, I went through the same thing. Everybody goes through. One of these days, you'll be sitting there talking to an engineer in an office, and you can talk about these stories, and they'll respect you a lot more for that. Because a lot of you know, some people don't even get into the field anymore. No, you know, they just get a college degree, they go into sales thinking they're going to sell whatever that's put in front of them, but mm-hmm. you don't get the respect. No, anymore, man. That's that's it's getting. I, I, I'm not like gonna say it's getting worse, but I mean, a lot more people now that have never even seen a rig that are selling.
1: Really? So that's interesting to me because obviously with the downturn, we filtered out a lot of people who either A, just couldn't cut it or they were mediocre hands that, mm-hmm. you know, they just, companies didn't have the, you know, they didn't want the overhead. So they had to get rid of them. So to me, I would think now more than ever, like engineers and people in, in positions of power would not want to deal with two or three folks. Like I would think that they would want one guy to be able to come in do the entertaining, do the technical solutions. I mean, not everyone's going to have that experience, but I just feel as a company, like training people or having guys have that experience to come in and do kind of like cradle to grave would just, I don't know, it would add a lot more value and credibility to to their company. I I couldn't agree with you more. You know, it's it's just odd for me. And I came from the field and same thing. I was 18 years old. I came from a small town where all I did, you know, my parents owned a woodworking shop. So like I knew how to run a saw, but on a drilling rig, you don't run saws. It's, you know, it's everything's iron. So it's, you know, it's all mechanics and, you know, beating this shit out of things with hammers and, you know, tripping pipe using tongs. And I mean, so much of that, like I said, was like, I didn't know what I was doing. And so, yeah, I got the hazing and people would try and jack with me. And, you know, fortunately growing up in high school, like, I mean, my buddies and I, we would jack with each other all the time. So I just thought it was funny and they knew I could take it, but, yeah, same thing. It was like having that experience, that field experience has gotten me to where I'm at today. No, and I mean, I, I wouldn't be where I'm at without those years of, of grinding it out in the middle of nowhere. But yeah, so like I, I'm I can appreciate where you're coming from.
0: Yeah, no, sure. it's I mean, even this morning, I was over at Maverick. Okay. It used to be I was about to say Bryburn at Maverick. Yeah. And one of the guys over there, i first met him, he said, What's your history? I was like, Oh, I'm from Pearland. He was like, No, in the field. Where have you worked? Yeah, like, oh, I started out cool too and with the gyro data, then, you know, and started selling liner hangers. Then I worked the rotary steerable again, you know, and he was like, Oh, okay, okay, okay. Now we can talk. Man, that's exactly what it was. Because then he was like, Okay, well, here's what I need from Rutherford. Right. You know, dude, that's
1: huge. And like, be able to explain that and then like hold your head up high with confidence. Imagine if you went in there and like, What's your experience? Oh, well, you know, I worked at Best Buy and my, my buddy's dad's high up at so and so, and he hired me on because I had a good yeah. personality and thought I could sell. And it was, it'd be like, right next, like I would never Hmm. want to put myself in that position.
0: (laughs) Anyone can learn, you know, what a whip stock is, where you put it. But if you don't know that exact application, you know, it's like, yeah, well, what if something goes wrong? You have no idea.
1: Yeah. If you can't, if you can't drive
0: outside of the lines, (laughs) then you're screwed. (laughs) You know, if you can't think outside the box and apply situations outside the box that people wouldn't normally think about. Yeah. You're putting yourself at a disadvantage right away. For sure. And that's, that's what I've, that's what I've really learned to, Appreciating this new role that I have is not being so much of an expert in one field, but knowing a little about a lot, right? Versus a lot about a little.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah, no, and, and it's interesting you say that because I was talking to a customer the other day, and we were talking about nowadays. We were using an example because one of our friends was applying for drilling engineering roles at different operators, and they were asking like extremely technical questions that, as like a six-year drilling engineer, even he was like. I'd have to go back to my college books and see. It was like torque and drag calculations and like just stuff that like day-to-day stuff you wouldn't normally look into. And if you did, you would have the resources. And like nowadays, yeah, if you don't necessarily be an expert, but if you're resourceful enough and and you are committed enough to finding solutions and know where to find them, you don't have to have everything memorized. But yeah, you know, where to look and, and through your experience, like I look at so I have a spreadsheet that I started when I was a mud engineer just on like basic drilling fluids engineering 101 all the way up to like you know balance plug calculations and you know everything that i did that i was like if i could put this in excel i'm gonna put it i have a spreadsheet that's like got a thousand tabs on it i still use it today for things when drilling engineers call me and they're like hey we need to do this this and that i know exactly where it is where to find it and fire off an email back within a few minutes but like yeah like without that field experience i probably wouldn't have nearly the information i have and so like a lot of that it's like as long as you can find the information, you don't necessarily have to have it memorized, but yeah. Yeah, just be resourceful and know where to get information and where to get the solutions to provide to your customers.
0: Yeah, like I I'm I'm not that organized i have a binder <laughs> full of papers that i couldn't tell you how to find one paper in there but it's got everything you're talking about there <laughs> yeah, and it's sitting yeah. right next to my dozens of tally books that i used in the field nice you know I, I always keep that information like sometimes i'll hear a name and i'm like wait a minute i worked for that guy before I yeah know i did i know i've met this dude and i'll go back through my tally books and you know sure enough i'm like ah oh, you were working for new tech engineering remember that and he was like oh my god yeah he's like i didn't recognize your name but i remember that job yeah Dude, that's so cool. And after that, I mean, your your job as a salesman after that is smooth sailing, man. I mean, you get in with them, and as long as you still know what you're talking about, and you can offer the right solution, I mean, it's a no brainer who they're going to go with. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what that's what I credit a lot of my success to is knowing a little about a lot and being able to provide the answers, even if you don't know the answer. If you're the guy that can call the guy who knows the answer and get back to them first, Mm -hmm. that's all. I mean, I. A lot of my clients that I've taken with me over the last six, seven years, or I've taken with me, that still call me for just various things. Like now that I work at Weatherford, mm-hmm. I've got guys that call me and say, hey, man, can you get me a cast iron bridge plug? You know, I don't sell those, but I know exactly who to call and I know where to get it, you know. And yeah. I call them back immediately and say, yeah, we got it. Yeah. You know, people know. I like to think people look at me as like a problem solver guy that's going to take the phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning, get the job done, and see it through. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I think that's a huge part of guys in the oil field now and the yep. guys who are successful the guys who actually know how to get things done that's, that's such a huge part of it and i mean anybody can make a phone call and turn it over to somebody and never follow yep. through with it but the guys that actually see it from start to finish you know yeah it, it makes a world of a difference for those engineers it does and
1: you need to know when to delegate and when not to but ultimately you should have enough sense and be knowledgeable enough of how urgent the situation is or, or how complex you know the situation is to Yeah, you can either bounce it off, which there's a lot of people in the oil field that are good at delegating. And it's like, why would I even deal with you? But like you said, and I think, and one of my questions was going to be, you know, what separates someone like yourself from the rest of the pack? And, and, And by someone like yourself, someone who's successful or someone who does a mediocre job. I mean, how can people in nowadays in the environment that we're in, because it's still... I like to call it the, the sort of the downturn hangover, but like, how do people differentiate themselves nowadays, being in such a still somewhat volatile environment? Do you think that plays a big part in it by talking what you're saying? I do.
0: Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, I'm. I'm a. I'm a very big believer in customer service. I mean, I've worked for service companies my entire life, and mm-hmm. I, I know what I mean. It's in the name. You're a service company. You provide a service. If your client says jump, you got to say how high to a certain point. Yeah. You know, you got to be the guy that they call, they know they can trust because they're trusting you with their paycheck, essentially. You got to look at it that way. Yeah. If they got the trust in you to call you and say, hey, man, I'm going to bind. I need this. You better take care of it because if you don't, you're not going to be that guy the next time around. That's true. You know, and that that service aspect is what was always beaten into me. And granted it helped working at gyro data being 24 on call running gyro surveys, you know, I have to answer phones at all times of the night and I had to get up and go right then and there. And and when I got into ops out in West Texas, when I was running that, that uh, office out there for them, I mean, it was like, you had to do everything you have to do to keep that business. Mm -hmm. You know, if that means getting off your butt at three o'clock in the morning and not having anyone else to call, you go run that job yourself. Yeah. You know, you got to do what you got to do. And if you can't do it, you make, you call them say, hey, you got to be honest. Like, hey, man, I'm sorry. I wish I could help you out. You know, I've done, I've exhausted every resource I can. Yeah. But being that guy that they trust, that they can trust their job with. them, because essentially that's what it is. These guys are trusting you with their job. Yeah. You know, because if you mess up because they trusted you and you don't know what you're doing, you lie to these guys telling them you know what you're doing. I mean, you're, you're ruining yourself. You're Mm -hmm. ruining your reputation. A lot of people forget about that. A lot of these, these newer salesmen forget about that, that these engineers talk Oh yeah, they talk a lot. They may not discuss pricing a lot, you know. Like I I really rarely ever come into that where it's like you sell two guys who are buddies working for two (laughs) companies, the same thing, and and you know one's come. Hey man, why are you charging him this? I don't ever get that. Right. Most guys respect the commercial side of it because they understand it's
1: it's pretty complex on how we come up with pricing. But yeah, I agree. Like a lot of engineers talk, and because knowledge is power, and so if in and being able to talk to. And I use drilling just as an example because that's in the world I live in. But you know, if they if you're drilling in you know X Y Z county and you know that whatever Chesapeake's drilling right beside you, you're gonna do. I mean, if I was drilling, I would be trying to make buddies with as many drilling engineers as I could because if someone comes up and I don't know how to solve the problem, chances are yeah. someone's
0: seen it. I before. mean, those guys share information. Yeah, all day long, and and, right. and they, they do exactly that. Yeah, you know? I mean, I noticed that a lot when I was doing rig calls out in West Texas. You know, when I was younger and I'd go out there, I'd go to, you know, let's just say a Conoco location and they be an engineer there from Noble or something, just BSing with the company, man. Yeah, just getting tips. How'd you do this? How'd you do that? You know, Hey man, we're losing returns on this, you know, what's your mud weight, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, but oh, yeah. I, I think the biggest key to my success to answer your question is being loyal, being the guy that they can trust that they know can get the, get what they need. And if they can't, and if I can't, they know I'm going to be honest with them. Yeah. Hon- honesty is huge in this business. You can't, you can't BS an engineer. You no. can't go in there and be like, yeah, we have this, yeah, we have that. And then to come, you know, two days before they're about to spud the rig and go, yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, I thought we did, but we don't. You're never going to get a phone call from that guy again. Yeah, you're ruined at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I I, mean, I've made that mistake. You sure. Know, it's a steep learning curve. But once you figure out what they want, you know, just making sure that you're the guy that they can trust is the biggest part for me.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it's, and I've learned throughout my career, it's okay to, To say, you know what, I honestly don't know and I don't want to provide you with an answer that may put you in a shitty position.
0: Oh yeah, I'd I'd rather say that all day versus yeah, I can get that for you and then pray and hope that you have it sitting on the shelf somewhere. Right, right. Yeah,
1: and then have an alternative like... You know, it goes to saying it's an old saying. It's like I don't, I don't know the answer, but I know where to find it.
0: Like that, that goes a long ways. Well, and you know, like when I was selling float equipment, especially, you know, that that stuff flies off the shelf. It's on every single casing string on every single well mm -hmm. that's drilled. And we don't always have the blank connections that they want to, you know, thread those, you know, semi flush or ultra flush or something like that. But I've got buddies who work for competitors. Right. We're friends, and we understand the I guess the decency of being in sales with each other you know like I say hey man I can't provide this for this operator you know can you help out yeah I got it okay give him a call just don't go after all my business man help me out you know yeah that, that works great and those engineers they love that yeah they love it when you can work with you know your competition because they see that you're both on the same goal of getting them taken care of yeah Yeah, that should be every salesman's goal is to is to find a solution for your client, complete it and complete it well. Yeah. No, that's
1: man. I love hearing that. And hopefully a lot of the folks out there. I know there's quite a few salesmen that listen to it. These this is a lot of the reason why I like doing the podcast is because it's, you know, sharing the information of like and and sort of the the keys to success that you have. Folks can learn from it. What would you tell like is you and I both worked in the field, moved our way up into sales what would you tell, let's say, a young guy out there who's you know, grinding away in the field, not necessarily seeing the light at the end of the tunnel? What would you tell a guy like that that comes to you? He's like, man, I want to get into sales, but I just, I don't know. I'm stuck
0: here in the field. Appreciate every day you have in the field. Yeah, That's what I tell him. I would tell him to be patient. Your turn will come. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if, you're, if you know what you need to know, And you put yourself out there and you give yourself those opportunities within that company and you make it known, hey, man, I want to move into this, Yeah, you know. But when you're in the field, you got to take advantage of that. You're not going to learn anything. You're not going to learn more than you're going to learn in the field. I don't care what book anybody gives you and says, hey, this is how you drill a well. Right. You know, there's no book on how to talk to a company man, you know. (laughs) Yeah. There's no book on how to talk to a tool pusher, you know, because those two guys know more than anybody. Right. Of course. You know how that works. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I mean, it's. You get the respect in the field. You get the knowledge in the field. And the longer you're in the field, in my opinion, the better you'll be in the office one day. Yeah. You know, because I mean, I was the one in the field for like four years. I wish I could have stayed longer. Yeah. You know, I wish I could have moved up to be a full-fledged directional driller. I would know so much more. Sure. You know, but I would, I would definitely tell that, tell that young man or woman. Yep. Hey man, take your time in the field. If you get an opportunity and you think you're ready, grab it. But yeah. don't get disgruntled by sitting in the field a couple of years longer because it's going to do nothing but better you in the long run. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I I honestly wish I could go back and spend more time in the field. I took the jump because I started having kids. Yeah. You know, I didn't want – at the time I was working in West Texas, I was flying out to West Texas every week and flying home every weekend so I could see my daughter. Yeah. And whenever I was given the option to move out there, I was like – I, mean, I, I just don't want to be that dad that flies home every other weekend to see their kid just sure not what i want to be i didn't i wasn't raised like that i want family dinners at, at night good you for know, you man. sit around and talk about what we all had for lunch while we watched the astros yeah you know that's that's what i grew up and that's what i wanted and you know so i said no to that job and you know i came back and then you know i got into sales and i've been doing my thing there and then you know, even when you're in sales, you travel a lot. Yeah. You know, and when my wife, when we decided we were going to get married, the first thing she said was, I want kids. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to have to make some changes, aren't I? <laughs> you know, and at that point in time, I was working for D-Tech Rotary Steerable, and they had just started out here in the States, and I was the only sales guy in the country. Oh, wow. So I was traveling Dude, every everywhere. single week. Jeez. And, I mean, and we were killing it. We were doing really good. We were picking up a lot of new work. Yeah and she just basically told me she said look you got to get a new job she said you can't we can't be having kids and you traveling all over the place and it's one of those things man you got to balance this job in your life i mean in your family life and decide what's more important and i i got extremely lucky when my my boss now called me up and we had a we had a previous relationship you know i've known him for a good amount of time yeah and you know he was like hey man i need someone i can trust over here at weatherford i know you don't know this product line very well but I know I can trust you. and I know you'll put in the work. So, didn't want to leave D Tech, but I made the decision, and it's worked out for the best. Cause I'm, I've, I've since gotten to see my daughter a lot more. I've actually gotten full custody of my child now. So awesome, my entire man. family's at the house every night when I get home, Dude, you know, that is uh... coming home and seeing the little 18 month old boy put his hands out and run up to me, <laughs> you know, it's like, man, that's better than any rig bonus you'll ever get. I'm telling you. Deal, yeah. You, know? you,
1: you can't exchange that for money ever. I mean, and, and good for you. And, you. and you say lucky, but I mean, and you've probably heard the definition of luck. It's when preparation meets opportunity and, and you prepared your whole life for that opportunity and here you are. And now you said you're living the dream, man. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. Man, so. Well,
0: you know, like I, it's, I grew up with the dad who was a blue collar worker. He was an elevator mechanic his entire life. So was my grandpa. Yeah. You know, my dad was like, I'll be damned if you're going to do this. You're going to go to college. <laughs> you're you're going be sure to be better than me. Than you know. after, exactly. Yeah. Like, you do whatever yeah. you want. But that man made sure that he was home every night he could be home. And we had, and we waited for dad to get home to eat, you know, and then dad was the star of the show. You know, yeah. dad would make everybody laugh. We'd talk, you know, it was it's a little things like that, that I wasn't willing to sacrifice, Yeah, you know, but the oil field accommodates, man. Yeah. You know, the oil field for, for all its ups and downs, the family value in the oil field is something I think it's hard. You're hard pressed to find in other industries. Yeah. Really? Cause this is all about family. Everyone understands that everybody wants to go to work and get home safe at night. Yeah, That's exactly right, man. That's huge. Well,
1: there's a couple more questions. You've probably, you've answered a lot of one of them, which is I normally ask if you have any daily habits, routines that could contribute to your success, whether it's, you know, your career, your personal life, but without getting into the nitty gritty. I mean, is there anything that you every single day, whether it's when you get up, you, you put your socks on a certain way or, you you know, you, you journal or is there anything kind of unique that you do that maybe no one knows about? Or is- Well, I mean.
0: Yeah, my wife knows about it when she's up when I get up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, not having anything to do with work, but my my the first thing I do when I get up in the morning after I brush my teeth is I do 50 push-ups and I do a, a lot of yoga stretches. Good for you, man. I try to get the blood flowing. I, I mean, if the blood's not flowing, you can't think. Yeah. You know, yep. and driving at six o'clock in the morning in downtown Houston, you need your blood flowing. because There's a lot of crazy people driving out there, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Nice.
0: You no, know, but between that and making sure that either when I'm sitting in traffic or I'm at home at night. You know, making sure that I recap everything that I did the day before. Cool. I mean, Not the day before, but, but that day. Yeah. And even if it's just looking back through my notebook, mm-hmm. you know, I may transfer some of that information to my little spreadsheets that I keep, you know, for each client, each product line and all that stuff. Yeah. But just keeping that information fresh. In my opinion, talking to somebody about something and then closing your book and not looking at it again until you have to is a big mistake. Mm-hmm. You, know, you got to keep all that stuff fresh in your mind because – you never know who you're gonna see. You yeah. never know who you're gonna to talk to. Like us meeting in Conoco, you know, it's totally by chance. You might meet somebody sitting in Conoco, and like, hey man, I was over here at this operator day, and they're doing this. And you're, like, yes, I know. You want to work together because there's something we can do to pull this together. You know, yeah. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I mean, for sure, you got to keep that stuff fresh in your memory. Yeah, You know, this is not a job you can just start and stop. You can't, it's, it's not a nine to five. No, it's not. A lot of people would like, like to think that sales is, like, oh, you're out playing golf and you're on. Yeah, we might get to do that here and there. Right. You know, we might get to go to sporting clay events and stuff like that. But there's a reason we're going to those places. Yes. It's because we want to see those clients and talk to those clients outside of what we talk to and work. I mean, you have to build a professional repertoire with these people and a personal you know, you gotta be able to get get along with these guys that shoots fishing tournaments and stuff like that. You, know? you mm-hmm. know, when to turn work off and when to turn it back on. Yeah. And in my opinion, the more you keep that memory fresh in your brain or that that information in your brain, the better off you are. Hell yeah. So push ups in the morning and reading all my notes from from the day before hey, you know, that night. That's that's, that's that's about it. That's
1: simple, but obviously extremely effective. So good for you. Well, look, man, we're getting close to wrapping this thing up. A few more things I wanted to mention. We've got some events on deck. So, Julie, why don't you tell us about some upcoming events?
2: Hey, it's Julie here, and I have a few OGGN announcements before we're heading into the events on deck. Street team, we are still taking volunteers for our street team. We're only asking for an hour of your time per week in exchange for perks such as free entry to our happy hours, shirts, networking with other young professionals in our group. The group is within Facebook, but you do not have to have a Facebook to join. Just send me an email. The link will be in the show notes and I can get you started. Our happy hours. We are actually moving to quarterly happy hours rather than monthly. So our next Houston happy hour, as well as Midland, will be in August or September. Be on the lookout for that date. You'll get an invite if you're on the list. If not, you can sign up on the list below. And then we are launching another happy hour in Denver in August. So if you're interested in that one, the link is in the show notes as well to be notified. We don't have a date or details for that yet, but they're coming up. Okay, now on to the events on deck. We have Golf for Good on June 11th, 2019 in Houston, Texas. All proceeds go to Helped Redeemed Ministries with our long term recovery program and safe house to help victims of human trafficking become survivors. So mark your calendars and be ready to golf for good with Redeemed and our organizers Global SEM Energy and Red M. For more information on how to sponsor or register, just click the link in the show notes. Data Driven Drilling and Production Conference is June 11th through 12th in Houston, Texas. This is where Silicon Valley meets oil and gas. Register at the link in our show notes below. The Energy and Data Conference is June 17th through 19th in Austin, Texas. This forward-looking conference will include the latest in digital transformation trends as they relate to the energy sectors with topics such as machine learning and data management storage, oil and gas development and drilling production, and more. Link down below energy exposition is june 26th through 27th in gillette wyoming the energy exposition is for those who would like to know more about procedures technology safety environmental practices and equipment used in the oil and gas industry and again the link is in our show notes argentina oil and gas an Energy Summit 2019 is on July 10th and 11th in Buenos Aires. This summit's actually the first and only official event for the Argentinian oil and gas and energy industries. It will present a unique platform for networking that will bring together existing and future operators in the oil and gas industry in Argentina and Latin America. Next up is the 2019 IPANM annual meeting that Mark, Jake, and Paige will actually be speaking at. This will be July 24th through 26th in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and this year's theme is Addressing Operator Needs in 2019. And next up is Desk and Derek, Fort Worth Second Annual Shoot for the Future Clay Shoot. This clay shoot will be on July 26th in Decatur, Texas. And then last but not least, Summer Nape. This is going to be August 21st and 22nd. to where the deals happen.
1: Thanks, Julie. I also want to mention the Oklahoma City fin, feather and fur. That's going to be happening Friday, October 11th. At Heritage Place in Oklahoma City. It's relatively new for the Oklahoma region. So uh if you would show them some love. If you got any service companies out there that want to sponsor it, hit up Courtney Strang with Inwell. She's the ch- I think she's the chapter head at AEDE, good friend of mine. And uh, anyone out there in Houston interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old-timer hockey. We do it every two weeks now, it used to be every three at Memorial City Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. We're getting people signing up almost every two weeks that we, we put it on and it's growing to be pretty good. Lots of great networking. And so I know we've had, there has been a few times where we didn't have two goalies, but now we're consistent with two goalies, which is anyone who plays hockey out there knows how important that is. So uh, anyway, that's growing. So I encourage everyone out there that wants to try it out, hit me up. And if you're looking to get in shape for either back to school or fall, visit KTX fit in Katy, Texas, and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you, I actually had a guy at the gym join the gym and he looked at me. He's like, Hey, are you, you do podcasting? And so we kind of talked back and forth. He's like, yeah, because he's a mechanical engineer and he was in West Texas. And he was just like, yeah, I was listening to a podcast. And at the end it said KTX fit. And I was like, so he didn't like think he didn't put two and two together. But then when he found out I was the guy at the gym, it was was neat because he knew who I was and whatever. But anyway, so again, if you're in the KD area and you want to work out, come, you know, come do a, a little workout with me over at KTX Fit. So anyways, thanks for listening to Oil & Gas Onshore. If you're looking for more info, oilandgasonshore.com. Matt, appreciate your time today. This has been a great, you know, this has been about an hour, man. I had the great conversation, lots of big nuggets to take away from it. If anyone has any sort of interests or, or questions about anything we talked about, can they hit you up on LinkedIn or well, of course. would be the of best course, way to reach out?
0: Time. LinkedIn. Uh, cool. Or, uh, you can just hit me on my email. It's just matthew.hoppins at weatherford.com. Cool. Well, uh, if
1: you don't mind, we'll put the link in the show notes. That way people can click it and send you a note. And shoot, that's a wrap. And always remember, when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town.
0: Tune in next week for another captivating episode of Tendeka's Oil & Gas Onshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasglobalnetwork.com.